Well, today we're continuing our sermon series entitled, You Asked For It. A few weeks ago, a few months ago now, we asked all of our church members, for those of you who weren't here at the time, to, uh, to text in your questions, the things that you wanted me to talk about uh, during this season, during this time as we walk through after Easter all the way up until the summertime. And uh, what are the issues that are, that are on your mind? What are the things that you want to talk about? What are the issues that uh, are, are, you know something that you really want to kind of dig into God's Word on. And so we spent some time kind of walking through uh, all of those questions, and we kind of brought all of them together. And to be honest with you, as we did that, what we found is this, is that all of the questions kind of really kind of summarized down to about 10 or 12 uh, kind of key thoughts and key ideas. And so we've already walked through three or four. Last week we talked about how to find God's will. The week before we talked about how to deal with and how to walk through fear and anxiety. And today is the one that, to be honest with you, was like the number one asked question of wanting to know about what does the Bible say and how, as we as Christians, how do we respond to and deal with uh, issues that are at the forefront of our culture and our communities today, uh, the LGBTQ issue that's out there and all the different things and all the different arguments, all the different conversations and division and fights. And I think probably all of us at some point Uh, In our journey, we've been online, we've had the opportunity of seeing like the arguments back and forth from every different perspective and every different side. And let's be honest, they're not always treated with kindness. Let's be honest that these conversations are not always something that honors God in uh, the communications that go back and forth. And I mean from both sides. I'm not talking about one side or the other. I'm talking about all of us have not always responded the way that God would want us to respond. And so while this is a hot-button issue, while it's a topic that is obviously very serious, it's one that I don't think should be a a source of contention. I don't think it should be a big argument that's going along. Because if we as followers of Christ, as we as Christians, if we are going to act the way that God intends for us to act, that there really wouldn't be contention. What there would be, there would be simply truth in love. Obviously, disagreements. Obviously, you know, people who feel different ways and according to Scripture, we stand on one principle and others might stand on another. But ultimately, that we can have uh, conversations that honor Christ even in our disagreement. And so today, as we walk through this passage and as we walk through this, uh, this topic and this issue, we're going to answer some questions that I know you want to know about, you want to hear about, you want to talk about because you told me that you did. But ultimately today, what we're going to do is we're not going to talk about political issues. We're not going to be, it's not going to be a political diatribe. What this is going to be is what does God's Word say? Thus saith the Lord. That is what we really want to kind of focus on today. And so, as we walk into this, uh, this topic and this conversation, I know it's a hot button issue. But really, I've got to be honest with you, as I was studying through and walking through the preparation for this, uh, this sermon. I mean, ultimately, when you come to finding what does God's Word say, like God gives us everything that we need to know about this issue. God's Word, say it again, gives us everything that we need to know about this issue. And so let's start walking through, if we could, let's talk through, let's ask the first question, and the first question is just simply this. Why is it that the LGBTQ issue seems to be the, the topic of every conversation these days? Well, the answer is clear. The answer is obvious. We're going to put it on the screen. We're not going to go into all these different topics because, again, this is not a political conversation. But obviously, we have issues going all the way back to 2015 with the Obergefell decision of the Supreme Court. When same-sex marriage was legalized, the court decided and made the the statement at that time that 
Same-sex marriage was, uh, was the, we had to issue marriage licenses in every state, and every state had to recognize the licenses of other states. And so, again, it set the, uh, the, the course in motion there that same-sex marriage was legalized. And that happened in 2015. I want you to remember that date, kind of keep that date in the back of your minds as we walk through this conversation. We also see in today's culture, we have issues with uh, men competing in women's sports. We've all seen the stories, the conversations that took place, going back to uh, Leah Thomas, who, uh, a man who identifies as a woman who was swimming uh, at uh, Penn State and, and won the competitions. And obviously, you know, lots of controversy around that issue. Uh, when Leah competed as a man, uh, he was ranked as 554th. Uh, when he competed as a woman, he was first. And so obviously there's lots of challenges, lots of conversations in response to that issue. Uh, in fact, even uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who as Bruce Jenner was a world-class Olympic athlete, uh, even uh, Caitlyn Jenner says that women, uh, men should not be able to compete with women in the context of women's sports. Title IX was created to level the playing field, so to speak, so that men and women had the opportunity of having equal sporting opportunities. And so, you know, obviously this flies in the face of what Title IX was created to, uh, to be able to do for women in today's culture. Uh, Martina Navratilova, arguably, arguably one of the greatest women's tennis players of all time, has made it very clear, this should not happen. Men should not be able to compete against women. It's not fair to women. It actually sets feminism back and women's rights back a great deal. So we know that's an issue. We see other issues like locker rooms and bathrooms. We've seen the stories that took place just a few weeks ago up in Wisconsin where there was an 18-year-old man who went into a locker room at a high school, a women's locker room, and showered with ninth grade girls. And when the girls complained, the school system actually got them in trouble, not the 18-year-old man who walked into the women's locker room. Obviously, doesn't make sense, issues like that. Issues like drag queen shows in schools and libraries, educational changes and, and problems, challenges that are happening today where teachers are being told to help students transition without even letting the parents know. They can't go get a shot. They can't go get a vaccination. They can't go to, you know, to get medicine for a cold without parents' permission, except for in this topic and, and the topic, of course, of course, of abortion as well. And so obviously we know, like, we've got lots of, of political issues. We've got lots of conversations, lots of challenges that are facing. We've seen stories like Sophie Eastwood over in the United Kingdom. A man who was arrested for murder and put in prison while in prison, transitioned into a female, and now is suing her, uh, her guards, the prison guards there, because now uh, Sophie is, uh, is obviously is, 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 you know, recognized and, and has transitioned to identifying as a woman, but now is identifying as a toddler and is suing the prison so that any time that, that he is getting food, that they're actually having to puree the food and mash it down and feed Sophie, and also that Sophie should have the right to wear diapers every day, and that whenever Sophie leaves the prison cell, that suing so that guards would have to hold Sophie's hand as they walk around the prison yard. Doesn't make sense. There's another man in Norway. A man in Norway who now is identifies as a woman, but not just identifying as a woman, identifies as a disabled woman in a wheelchair and wants all the rights that disabled people rightly should have, even though he's totally healthy, can walk, can run, can do all those kinds of things, but identifying as a disabled woman. And so we see all of these stories. My wife showed me one the other day 
of a, of a large woman, a heavyset woman who was talking online and saying that while she has struggled with her weight all of her life, that she's now decided to identify as slim. And so she's calling herself trans-slender. It's no joke. <laughs> if only that would work, right? I mean, obviously, lots of challenges, lots of issues, lots of problems, but today we're not going to spend time kind of talking about those issues. What we're going to talk about is what does the Bible have to say? And so we know that ultimately what this really is is this. It's a cultural attempt to dismiss the biblical narrative of what is right, to dismiss the biblical narrative of what is truth. And this is not a new conversation. This is a conversation that goes back for decades and decades. My dad preached on this even going back in the 1970s. It's something that's not new. It didn't happen just in 2015, that date I told you to keep in mind. It's something that has literally walked through the generations and walked through the decades. And so what we want to talk about today is this idea of this cultural attempt to dismiss the biblical narrative of what is truth. Even the National Institutes of Health, a government agency on their website, They actually dismiss the biblical narrative in the biblical text, and and I quote, pretty close to a quote, I don't remember it exactly, but something to this effect, why, quote, anyone would want to follow a text that is so inhuman, and that text that the NIH is talking about, can anyone guess? The Bible. And so we know this is a cultural attempt, it's, a, it's an opportunity, it's a situation we have today where people are trying to dismiss truth. So what does the Bible say? This is a question that many of you ask. What does the Bible say? The answer simply starts with this, that God created man in his own image. God created man in his own image, and that we are the image bearers of God, and it's reflected in two genders and two sexes, male and female. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. We're going to read this passage. This is obviously the the creation story. This is the time in which God created everything that there is. When you go back to in the beginning, this was in the beginning, and this is where it all started. This is where it comes from. And so, in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, I want to leave that verse up on the screen for just a moment because there's some, not that verse, the verse before, verse 27, because there's some important truths that we want to understand in what this is, because what this is, is this is God giving us two expressions of humanity in His creation. Now, we look at those words there that God created man in His own image. Now, that word man there is the Hebrew word Adam. Have you ever wondered who named Adam? How many have ever wondered who named Adam? Now, obviously, you know God created Adam, right? But the Hebrew word here, God created man in His own image, the the word man there, the Hebrew word there is the word Adam. So in other words, where did Adam get his name? He got it in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. God created Adam in His own image. Now God created Adam. And we see in the story that, uh, again, the recognition here that Adam was there, and Genesis chapter 2 will be there in a few moments, that he was alone, he was, you know, looking at all the animals, and he was naming all the animals, and all these animals were coming before him in perfect pairs. God had created already, you know, the, the, the morning and the, the, the day and the night. He'd already created the, the sun, the moon, the stars. He created the land and the sea, and he, he'd seen all of these different perfect complementary sets of what was created. And Genesis chapter 2, God said, it's not good for him to be alone. 
And so, God created man, Adam, mankind, in his own image. And then it goes on to say, he created in the image of God, he created them male and female. Now, that word male there is not the same Hebrew word as the word man. It's not the same word. The word man, remember, the, the word man, the Hebrew word there is Adam. But here, the word male is the Hebrew word zakar, which literally means the masculine form, the male form. God created them male. But then also that word female there is the, uh, the Hebrew word um, uh, negeva, which is the idea of the female, the feminine side. So in other words, God gave us two expressions of mankind, and those two expressions of mankind are laid out here, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, He created them male, zakar, female, negeva. He put them together, and that's the two expressions of mankind that God created. Now, when He created them, He created them, obviously, we'll get there in a few moments in Genesis chapter 2 of how He created them, the picture of what took place, but He created them as two independent, separate forms. And even today, women, every woman ever born was born with two X chromosomes. Men are born with two, uh, with one X and one Y chromosome, and that's how we're created. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that is where it comes from. Now, for us to understand, for us to get to this point of looking at this, for us not to believe this, what we have to do is we have to dismiss what God's Word says. In fact, there are some groups out there that would say that this is really not what is intended in this passage. It's not really what is coming from this passage. And so, in fact, some would say that, that, that while certainly God created day and night, and He created land and sea, and He created male and female forms of animals, that really what we have to look at and understand is this is that there are spectrums of, or there are uh, nuances there of uh, even those, like things like dusk. You know, there's day and there's night, but then there's dusk, there's, there's sunrise. And, and so it's not quite day, it's not quite night, and so there's a difference in between. Uh, there's also, in fact, the HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, uh, says it this way, that we look at, you know, animals like the dolphin. And the dolphin certainly is a, you know, it's a fish, but yet it can breathe air and, and all those kinds of things. They talk about the platypus, and, but yet but you still see when you recognize and understand that still the understanding is just simply this, that there are male dolphins and there are female dolphins, and there are male platypus and there are female platypus. And regardless of creation, there are still complementary forms, complementary sets of what has been created. And that's what God lays out here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So in other words, for us to discount the idea that God created a complementary set in creation would mean that we would have to dismiss God's Word. And that really is what the attack is. That is really what is happening, because if you hold to the literal reading of God's Word, then we're left with a problem, we're left with a situation, we're left with an issue of it doesn't go with what the cultural norm, the cultural statement really is today. And see, we recognize in the Genesis 1 statement of the creation of mankind, that's a statement of the declaration of what happened, where in Genesis chapter 2, it's a description of how it happened. And so we see that first answer, it's, a, it's this idea of discount, discounting the, the narrative. But in answer two of this question is that God's perfect design is marriage between two people, one male and one female. That's what God designed. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, the other New King James, King James cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. 
Now, the idea of verses 24 and 25 is the picture of what God created in marriage. But for us to understand that, we have to go back and see what it does say in Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It's not going to be on the screen, but let me read it to you. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along. It says, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. And at the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub or the field had yet grown on the land, no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, but mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed, and the Lord God caused it to grow out of the ground every tree, pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. And from there it divided and became, I'm going to skip on down. It talks about all the different four rivers that were there. And then it says this in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work uh, and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Listen to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so the Lord God formed out of, the, out of the ground every wild animal, every bird of the sky, and brought each of the man uh, to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found. Again, here's that statement, corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place, and then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. The picture of how God created mankind. And he said there in verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he used that phrase that, that he wanted to create something that was corresponding to him. A perfect set, a complementary set that God created, male and female. And so we understand in the context of this passage where it says that the man will leave his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. That statement, one flesh, is very important. Because it gives us the picture of, of literally the coming back together of God's perfect plan and God's perfect uh, situation. Now, that statement, that word corresponding there is the Hebrew word uh, negade, which literally means, again, in uh, the CSB, corresponding, the New King James, it talks about being comparable, and then King James talks about a helpmeet for him. In other words, a perfect complement, a perfect set of two individuals, male and female, coming together, and that God formed them together perfectly. This was God's plan. This was God's idea. This was God's ideal. This is what He designed and what He desired. And so, as we come to the third answer here, any other plan or any other design that dismisses the imago Dei, which is the image of God, the God's plan for mankind, or God's plan for marriage and gender, is sin. 
Now, I've put in the notes online. You certainly can look at them all. There are six, uh, actually six to eight different references in the Bible as it relates to LGBTQ behavior. And we're not going to walk through all of those. But we also recognize and understand that today some would argue and say that you can't really use Old Testament references to talk about where we are today because we're living in the New Testament age. We're living in the church age. And Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. That tells us in Matthew chapter 5. That's what he did. But yet when you go to Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20 and you read there those statements about uh, behavior, LGBTQ behavior that's found there in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 20, you know, some would say, well, you can't, uh, chapter 20, you really can't use that anymore because there are other things that are found in Leviticus that we don't recognize today. Things like wearing different types of threads or eating different types of food and, and different types of meat and all those kinds of things. Like those things, that's for the other day, that's not for today. But when you look at Leviticus chapter 18 and chapter 20, what you see is that the statements that are made there about the LGBTQ behavior is the exact same language that is used over in Romans chapter 1, and Jesus affirmed it in Matthew chapter 19, but also it's listed there in a list of other behaviors that even today are considered to be uh, reprobate, considered to be uh, not allowed, considered to be something that we do not want to do. Uh, other issues, and you can read those passages, we're not going to read them today in Leviticus 18 and 20, but you can see like all of those things that surround those statements are statements that even today, regardless of where you stand on the Word of God, regardless of where you stand on your faith, that you would agree with, like that is not permitted today and it's not something we would want. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 20, in both statements there, verse uh, 23 and, and Leviticus chapter 20, I think it's verse 11, it, it, or verse 13, it says that those acts, those situations, they're actually detestable or an abomination. And that's the, uh, the Hebrew word there, toeba, which is literally the idea like it's something that should not be permitted, should not be allowed. And so when you recognize and understand the dynamic of what that says, that we understand that God created two sexes, two genders, male and female, that was God's design, that was God's plan, and Jesus affirmed it in Matthew chapter 19. God's design for sex and gender and marriage. Look what it says in verses 3 of Matthew chapter 19. So some Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Jesus said, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? Again, those two words. Uh, And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now, I want to pause right there. We go back to this statement. Jesus actually referenced Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. He used that phrase again there, one flesh. And the idea there of that one flesh is the idea that it's a physical joining together, but it's also a spiritual joining together. It's actually the two creations, male and female, that God brings together in a physical and a spiritual sense. And that idea of one flesh certainly talks about the physical, and that physical is obviously of sexual conversation there, and that God brings us together for the purpose of intimacy, for the purpose of pleasure, but also for the purpose of of procreation. In a spiritual sense, that God is actually using that as a reference to, and as it uses in other places in Scripture, of the picture of the relationship between God and His church. And so the idea here is it's a physical and it's a spiritual joining together. The problem is, is that we in our culture today, we have dismissed on the physical side, we've dismissed the idea of intimacy, we've dismissed the idea of procreation, and what we have left with is the idea of pleasure. That all that we're fixated on, all that we're focused on is what is in it for me? 
What's good for me? What do I want? What do I like? Which has brought about the rise of pornography, which brought about the rise of sexual abuse and and lots of different things. It all comes that has not anything to do with intimacy or anything to do with, with the idea of procreation. It's the idea of like pleasure. Like, I want to feel good. And so that is the idea that anytime that you remove things that God created as a part of God's design and God's creation, that you're left with things that are going to be corrupted and perverted and changed. And that's where we are in our culture today. And so Jesus used that phrase, that statement of one flesh. He puts Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 together, telling the story. And it's interesting that when Jesus was giving the statement, when he was being asked this question, that he didn't reference back to people like Abraham or uh, Moses or Jacob or David or Solomon. His only reference to the marriage, he only reference to what God created, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden before the fall. Why? Because that's what God designed and that's what God intends. And anything other than God's design and God's intention is outside of the framework of God's perfect plan. And that's why Jesus used that reference in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So understanding that, let's go to our next question. How does then LGBTQ behavior go against God's design? Well, the first answer is this. It attempts to disrupt or even upend God's desire, God's design. Galatians chapter 5, it's going to be on the screen. Verse 16 says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what, against, what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. And so in other words, all of us, every single one of us, we have a war going on inside of our own minds and inside of our own hearts. It's a battle that is constantly going on between what we're thinking. Because as a human nature, we're all born with that sinful nature, naturally we are drawn to what is evil. But God has created in us, in the Spirit of God, if we're, you know, children of God, if we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so there's this constant battle that is going on. And so the idea here is this, is this battle that's always going on, that we're always being pulled in different directions, walking down different paths, being tempted to go places that we should not go. And the idea here is this, is that this idea of, of, of a, a picture of or a path that is outside of God's perfect design and God's perfect plan is something that will always disrupt and upend what God truly desired. It rejects God's design of Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, He made them male and female. It rejects God's design of marriage, Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and following. And even the American Psychiatric Association changed its description and definitions of gender dysphoria to be more affirming and accepting in 2013. Again, another date that I want you to keep in mind. And they changed their language from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria so they would be more inclusive. I understand that. So 2013, that happened. 2015, the Obergefell decision came down. And all of it happened at about the same time that we see this this drive towards, this move towards an idea, a term that's been coined, not by me, of social contagion or cultural infection. And so when you look at this idea of social contagion, We go to some stats that I just want to share with you today. Again, they're in the notes, and I put them there, and I've also footnoted all of them so you'll know where that I found them so I didn't make that all up, right? Okay, so some stats. The CDC, Centers for Disease Control, again, a government organization report, states that the numbers of young people who identify as LGBTQ or are questioning their identity has more than doubled in the past seven years. Where does the seven years go back to? 
2015. According to the Gallup organization, in 2015, only 3.9% of Americans identified as LGBTQ, while in 2022, that number has risen to 7.1%. For high schoolers, high school age, that number has gone from 11% in 2015 to, uh, who identified as LGBTQ or questioning, to 24.5% in 2021. Now, you see the dates are all kind of corresponding here, right? 2013, 2015, going all the way up to 2022, more than doubled uh, in people who are identifying these different else uh, situations. Now, what also happened in that same season, in that same time? Again, these are stats that come not from me, but from uh, government studies. In the same years, the explosion of social media has taken place, thus creating a space where contradictory statements and messages can be delivered directly into the hands of impressionable individuals who are struggling with their self-worth and acceptance. Listen to this. In 2021, 4.3 billion people worldwide were using social media, and studies revealed that they were spending 22% of their online time on social media. Other studies that have been done by the government say that young people today spend between four and nine hours every single day on social media. You keep reading the stats here. Facebook has nearly three billion users monthly, spending more than 35 minutes a day. Twitter, over 200 million daily users, sharing over 500 million tweets daily. Instagram with over 1 billion active users with over 500 million stories shared daily. TikTok had over 850 million downloads in 2020 and over 600 million daily users. Thus, it is not difficult to recognize that with the explosive growth of these online spaces that the growth of confusion had to follow. Why? Because the messages that are out there are competing against the Word of God. The messages that they're seeing, that they're hearing, that they're watching are messages that are counter to what God's perfect plan is. And you can understand that young adults who are struggling with identity, and let's be honest, there's not a person in this room that in certain ages of your life that you didn't struggle with identity. Man, I remember when I was in middle school and high school, man, I wanted to be cool and I was not. Man, I wanted to have all the girls like me and they did not. Man, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be in the cool group. I wanted to be the football star. I wanted to be the basketball star. I wanted to be the baseball star. I was not. I remember my senior year, I finally went out for baseball and I finally made the team. And man, I was so proud of myself. I was on the team. I was on the baseball team. I was a senior. I was awesome. And I remember the very first game that I got in, Harvey Klan was the coach. I remember I got into the game and man, I was sitting there and I, I got my first hit of the year. By the way, it it was my only hit of the year. (laughs) I got my first hit of the year, and I was so excited. I got to first base, and man, I was so proud of myself. My dad was up in the stands, and he was watching me. And man, I remember sitting there. I was at first base. Man, man, my head was like this big. I had to take the helmet off. didn't fit anymore. I mean, I I was just, it was awesome. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking up, and dad's sitting there smiling at me because he was a baseball star. He was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals when he was in high school. And so, man, I was so excited. This is awesome. This is incredible. And so I'm standing there looking at my dad and thinking, man, this is awesome. This is great. Looking at the girls in the stands, wondering which one now wants to go out with me. Because of what they had just witnessed in this incredible sheer, you know, display of athletic prowess. And I'm saying, like, this is awesome. And I didn't recognize that at that moment the pitcher picked me off at first. And so I had to walk with my head down back to the dugout. I never got on base again the rest of my career. Like, I, I was not. I wanted to fit in. 
Now understand, we're all impressionable, we're all seeking, we're all wondering like, like who am I and who, who am I supposed to be? And so you can recognize that in that same situation that we have today, the struggle with identity, the struggle with self-acceptance, that when they see their heroes and actors and musicians and, and all these movie stars, all these people that are, that are talking about, oh yeah, I tried this and I wanted to do this and I'm thinking I'm going to be this this week and, and the next week I'm going to be something else. You can see why that number, again, going back to 2015, has gone from 11% to over 24.5% in the same season of time from 2015 to 2022. The problem that we have is that the language that is being talked about and circulated is language which is counter to God's word. So then we come to our next question. What is the Christian's response? What is it that we as Christians, as followers of Christ, what must we do? Here's the answer, truth in love. That's what we must do. We go to scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, then we will no longer be little children. I'm going to pause right there. What does it mean, then we will, after talking about like the exposure to truth that God gives us like leaders and, and, and people who can help us and, and friends around us that can encourage us in God's word, being able to study God's word on our own, then we will no longer be, it says, little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15 says this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. Paul write that passage and he put himself right in the middle of the pack. No, he didn't put himself right in the middle of the pack. He put himself at the head of the pack. Man, I'm the worst. I'm the absolute worst. I'm the worst sinner that you could possibly imagine. And Christ came to save me. And so what's the language? What's the picture? What is it we as Christians must do? We must do what Paul told. Man, tell the incredible story of the truth that God loves, that Christ died, that he rose again, and that's where we find our hope and that's where we find our identity. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter eight. Remember in that story in John chapter eight when he came upon, uh, came upon the, the woman who was caught in adultery? And they brought that woman to her, to him, and they threw her down onto the ground before Jesus, expecting Jesus to condemn this woman who was caught in adultery that she should be stoned, that she should be uh, killed because of what she'd done. And what did Jesus say? You know what he said, right? John chapter eight, he said this, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, he didn't criticize, he didn't denigrate, he didn't mock, he didn't make fun of, he didn't sit there and, and joke about, he didn't get online and argue with them about it and tell them how horrible they are. He just simply said, the one without sin cast the first stone. In other words, man, we're all right here in the middle of this, right? But then what did he tell the woman? He told the woman, go and sin no more. He loved, but he spoke truth. He loved, but he spoke truth. So what is the Christian's response? Truth in love. Next question. So what do I do if a loved one is walking this path? What do I do with someone that I care deeply about? Uh, maybe a, a brother or sister or a son or a daughter or mom and dad. Here's what we do. Love, but we don't affirm. It's acceptance, but it's not approval. 
Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gave us that statement, the great commandment, remember, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing that anyone should, could, or would ever do to you that should keep you from loving them because Jesus said love. Jesus said we're to love. No matter what they do, no matter where they go, no matter what mistakes they might make, no matter what life they might live, no matter what path they might travel, we are called, we are required, we are commanded by God himself to love. And so we have that duty, we have a responsibility to show that kind of love. So how do we do that? Man, we be honest. We're to be caring, we're to be loving, and we're to be truthful. I was listening to yesterday, my wife was talking to my daughter-in-law and and they were talking about some of these issues is because we were talking about this topic and the subject for today. And, and they were talking about the idea of like speaking truth in love and, and speaking truth to someone who's going through a difficult time. And they used the example, it's a great illustration, a great example that, that if you had a daughter, if you had someone in your family that you love very much and you found out that they were suffering from anorexia or bulimia, that they were walking down a path that you know is destructive, that you know that it's going to destroy them. You know that it's leading down a path that cannot lead to anything good. Yeah, obviously you're not going to stop loving them, right? But you're also not going to start affirming them. You're not going to start helping them walk down that path. You're not going to help lead them down that path that leads to destruction. You're going to love them, but you're going to speak truth to them. And you're going to try to help them. And you're going to wrap your arms around them and let them know, man, I love you and I care for you. And I want what's best for you. And this is not what's God's best. That's God's plan. And that's God's design in every situation that we're to love but not affirm. So the next question, what do I do if I myself am questioning my identity? What if I'm struggling with this issue? Like what if I'm not sure who I am or, or, or what I am? Well, we go back to scripture. And the first thing is we recognize our worth. Recognize your worth. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Go back to that word workmanship. That's the Greek word poema, which literally means creation. Like that, that you didn't happen by happenstance. It wasn't an accident. It's not like you just came about by some random set of facts or a random set of, uh, of cells that kind of joined together. No, you were created as God's workmanship. The New Living Translation uses the word masterpiece here, that that's what you were created as. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, God speaking, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He was speaking to Jeremiah. He was talking to a person who lived thousands of years ago. But here's what I know. If God knew Jeremiah before Jeremiah was born, guess who else he knew before you were born? You. You're pointing at each other. Good job. Thank you. You're listening. That's awesome. You, but that's who God knows before we were ever born. God knows exactly who we are. He created us and he formed us even before we were born. So we need to find our identity and what God created you to be, not what the culture encourages you to change or believe. Along the same line, Psalm 139, verses 13, for it was you who created my inward parts, speaking to God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. 
Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless, and all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them even began. So recognize your value. Recognize your worth. Recognize that when in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created in His own image, He's talking about you. And there's nothing about you that's a mistake. There's nothing about you that is wrong. There's nothing about you that God messed up on. God created you in perfection. And that's who we are. And so when the world tells you to struggle, when the world tells you to, that you ought to think about a different path, when the world tells you that, that, that you're confused, when the world tells you you ought to change what you're doing, like don't listen to the lies of the world. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus speaking said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Why do we live in a culture today that is running away from God's word? Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is here on this earth and he is at work and he wants you to believe that which is not true. Why? Because it's in his very nature to lie. He is the father of lies. So what do we do? The bottom line is this. Understand, you were created in the image of God, Imago Dei. And God doesn't make mistakes. You're perfect in your created form. And don't let the world confuse or destroy the truth. Thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise and the hope that it brings that in a time when when we're all confused, in a time when there are so many competing conversations, in a time when voices seem to be so loud, telling us things that go against your word, God, I pray that you would keep us focused on and fixed on the still small voice that comes from you and you alone. God, I pray for the person right now in this room who might be struggling in this area, someone watching, someone listening, Someone who is walking down a path that we know leads to uh, away from the design and the desire, God, that you have placed into existence and created. God, I pray right now that through your word that you would let them see their value and their worth to you exactly the way that they are. God, that you created them to be exactly who they are today. And God, I pray that you would help them to turn their hearts to turn their minds, to turn their ears to your word and not the word of the culture. God, I pray that you would give them hope. God, if there's someone here today that, that needs to meet not the father of lies, we've all seen him, but rather that they need to meet God the father who loves and the one who gave his son Jesus to die and who rose again. They need to meet and understand and recognize the great truth that is found in you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray this would be the moment that decision is made. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, today, as it is every week, the altar is open.
<clears throat> our team is gathered here. Man, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. And I know this is a topic that a lot of people maybe don't want to talk about. A lot of people are concerned and a lot of people are worried. A lot of people are confused. I get it. I understand. It's a confusing time. Man, we live in a culture today where, where everything is moving so fast, it's hard to keep up. I get it. And that's why we need an anchor. Something that, that holds us anchored to truth because today Satan wants us to believe all the lies that he's putting out there. And so today, if you're here and, and you just want to pray with someone, man, we've got counselors here that would love to talk with you. Man, we've got counselors who would love to talk with you even after today to help you through this journey and help you figure out like identity and, and who you are and, and, and what God created you to be. Man, we'd love to do that. And so in a moment, we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing together. And when we do, the altar is going to be open. And I just encourage you, come on down. Maybe you want to come and meet Christ. Our team is here. We'd love to share Christ with you. Maybe today you want to come and join our church family or come for baptism as we celebrate it today. Maybe you want to come and, and just kneel here and pray for a loved one or a friend who, who's struggling, going through some difficult times. Man, this altar is open. It's a place of prayer. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Why? Because prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. And so maybe you want to come and just kneel here and pray. Whatever God is telling you to do, whatever God is speaking to you today, let's stand together and as we together sing the words of this song. I just want you to, to step out, to move according to how God is moving you today as we sing these words. So let's sing together. Everyone needs compassion a love that's never failing Let mercy fall on me Everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of nations Say My God is mighty to save, He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, heroes and conquered the grave, Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains, my God is mighty to save. moment we're going to walk out of here and every person in this room we have a responsibility we do not have the right or the responsibility to attack those to denigrate those to argue with those to try to mock those who disagree with what God's word says we do not have that right we do not have that responsibility that's not our job our job according to God's word according to the words of Jesus himself, is that we're to love. That we're to speak truth, never compromise, but we do it in love. That there's not a person you will ever meet, there's not a person you will ever encounter, whether online or whether in person, 
regardless of what they say and regardless of what they believe, there's not a person on the face of the earth today that you have the opportunity or the right to put down because you're following Christ. You have a responsibility to love them, to reach out to them, to care for them, to encourage them, to point them to truth. That's what our job is. And so today as we leave here, let's walk out of here as an army. And not an army that's going out to conquer or attack, but rather an army who's going to go out and to love people and point them to Christ. To take them away from the father of lies and point them, point them to the author of truth. That's our job. That's our responsibility. Let's do it. The altar remains open. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.